Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the all-in-one daily drink to promote better health and peak performance. We here at Swisper know that even with a balanced diet, it's difficult to cover all your nutritional bases. That's where Athletic Greens will help. With its complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, it is no common drink, but straight up nutritional insurance for your body delivered right to your doorstep. And let's be honest, you can't really take off as an entrepreneur if you don't have the right fuel. I myself use Athletic Greens first thing in the morning. One simple scoop in a glass of water means my energy levels stay consistently high throughout my day. Athletic Greens tastes delicious, and it manages to do so while containing no more than one gram of sugar and being compatible with any diet you can imagine. Vegan, paleo, keto, you name it. So if you're ready to become the entrepreneur of your dreams, head on over to athleticgreens.com slash to claim our special offer today and receive a free D3K2 wellness bundle with your first purchase. That's up to a one year supply of vitamin D. Very important for the coming winter months. And you know what's also winter essential? Listening to Swisspreneur. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Swisspreneur. And now on with the show. Think about in your past, who were people who you could really work well with, who gave you a lot of energy, who, with whom you were at your best? Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Yoko, a very warm welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. You are the co-founder and CEO at Lecce. Uh, you describe yourself as the most versatile equity management solution. So basically, your company allows that other companies can manage their cap table, investor relations, and also equity plans professionally in just one place. So I will talk, uh, I'll ask much, much more about that topic. But first, I'm interested to learn more about your background because you studied, uh, you finished your master's degree in physics from ETH in Zurich in 2015. And I wonder, how do you end up from physics in a software startup? So um, so actually, um, it came to be in the following way. So uh, I met my two co-founders, Ben and Timo, while studying physics. Mm -hmm. And um, and while during our studies, we um, really had this, this desire for founding our own venture. Um, and we we're actually working on another topic, more in the encryption space. And we then in 2017, we met two former founders. Now they're investors. They founded uh, Doodle.com. And they actually uh, told us about this problem that whenever they were investing now in startups or also during their uh, entrepreneurial career, that the way startups were managing their equity was extremely chaotic and error prone. So that's really the first time we discovered about this problem and that we realized that, you know, all startups in Europe uh, are really managing their equity with Excel sheets. And this is when we, we decided to tackle that problem. So it was really um, sort of a, a, an organic process, I would say, mm -hmm. um, in, in, our, in our journey from physics to, to that topic. Great. And you mentioned this desire to start a company. Where did that come from? Was that, you know, any family background that pushed you in that direction? Or 
where did this desire to start your own company come from? Because that's not the common path that you would take after a physics degree and after studying at ETH directly. You could also get a well-paying corporate job, right? Yes, for sure. Um, so I think, no, it's not personally, it's not from my family background. I think I was, um, from my family side, just really always encouraged to do what I really was passionate about. So that certainly played a role. But really the the reason why my two co-founders and me switched from physics to entrepreneurship is I think really this desire for having a direct impact on society. It sounds very, you know, classic. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people switch to entrepreneurship because of that. But for us, it was really... It was really that. So in physics, it's, it's of course, of course, you have a long-term impact, but it's less, um, if you do research in physics, it's less direct. You less, you see the, the effect on society less directly. So that was, I think, at the core, the, the switch. I think that's a good motivation to have. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned you became friends during uh, your physics studies. You're uh, two co-founders or three co-founders in total. But then you also traveled together and uh, probably that also had uh, an impact of really shaping your startup team. Can you talk a bit more about what these travels did to you as a group and what basically resulted out of these travels? Yes. So I would say, you know, when we started our studies in our bachelor's here in, at ETH Zurich, um, we were, I think, all three super focused on our studies, uh, totally in the, in the fields of physics and so on. And when we finished our bachelor's, we simply decided to go together on a world trip. Um, and what we did is we decided, so actually I'm half Japanese and half Swiss, and I always wanted to come from Japan to Switzerland by, by, without any airplane. And so, um, this was a, a great uh, way to combine this world trip with Ben and Timo and, uh, this, this project. So what we did is we took the train from Vladivostok. Uh, which is close to J Japan to all the way through Siberia to Moscow. And of course, in a train, you don't have a lot of things to do. Right. <laughs> and that's really where I think, you know, we were finished with our bachelor. We were on this world trip and we just had a lot of time and we started brainstorming about ideas. And we also read all these classical startup books, uh, you know, the lean startup, um, zero to one, all these classics. Mm -hmm. And we were, where we got first excited about founding our, our own thing. And, uh, that's, I think, where, where this, this co-founding team came to be at that time. And how long was that trip from Vladivostok to Moscow? I think that takes quite a while, right? Yeah. You, you can actually do it in, uh, one week if you don't do any stops. Okay. But we took time and we did it in, we did it in one month. And being, you know, that closely together on like a small train, basically for one month. That's probably also the ultimate co-founder test, whether you actually can really stick and make it work together. Exactly. Definitely on a, on a personal basis. And I guess also, uh, I think when, when you choose your co-founder, it's extremely important that you, you know how you work together. And in our case, we also, um, we also work together during our studies. So that was really a, a great fit in that sense. And just uh, because I, I really like to talk about that trip, because that's something that we haven't really covered on our show yet. Uh -huh. um, what, was there also, you know, any, when you started the trip, um, did you say, okay, this is like really like the ultimate test that we want to take? Or was it really more like a, a fun thing that you wanted to do? And also, you know, traveling from Japan to Switzerland without any airplanes. 
what was like the business context of the whole trip? Did you really have like a specific goal in mind or anything that you wanted to find out? Or was it more a casual like holiday trip basically? Yeah, so absolutely no business goals behind it. It was really um, about, you know, finishing the studies. We just wanted to um, see the world. And uh, for me, there was this project I always wanted to do, but really not at all. Um, we, we really had no idea that we, we were going to have these ideas during the trip. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> makes sense. And I also think just uh, to reflect a bit on that, you know, doing these things as co-founders or potential co-founders before you actually start a company, I think that's incredibly important. That will then most likely also increase the likelihood of success later on because you're closer together, you're a strong team, you know each other much better than co-founders that just met through a platform um, one month ago, for example. And they're one of the largest reasons why startups fail is actually because of the team, the co-founders split up, right? So I think doing the work that you did there as a preparation, although it wasn't the goal to have that is uh, incredibly a good takeaway for people listening to this. Yes. And actually to add one more thing on that, when people ask me, okay, but how do you actually find a, a co-founder in general? And personally, I think one of the best ways really is to think about in your past, who are people who you could really work well with, who gave you a lot of energy, who, with whom you were at your best. And these are often the people with whom um, you should try to ask. And you might be surprised, like maybe a lot of people think, oh, but they will never want you. But it's, I think, very, um, there are high chances that you would be surprised of the opposite. So, yeah. That's a very good recommendation. They might not always be available, but if you don't ask, you don't find out, right? Definitely. How do you then go about the role split? You know, three co-founders, how do you split the roles and different tasks at hand? So... I think at the very beginning, we didn't have very clear defined roles. We were all doing pretty much everything. Um, I think around six months in, we then decided to have more focus areas, each of us. And there, the way we, we did that is, first of all, for Timo, our CTO, is it was very clear because he, were, he was simply our tech lead um, and Ledi just really needed him as a, as a CTO. It was very straightforward. And then for Ben and me, um, currently today, Ben has the CPO, so product role, and I have the CEO role, so more from, for the business side. And, um, and I think there it was less clear. And actually at the beginning, it was the opposite. So six months uh, after six months, it was I was CPO and Ben CEO. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I think, also interesting that these things can also change during the, during the journey. And at the end of the day, the way we, we decided that uh, the, the constellation we have now is actually more about the details. Um, so, you know, that, for example, Ben was slightly more comfortable uh, developing a great product or that I was maybe slightly more comfortable pitching the idea or these kind of, of details. But um, I would say at the end of the day for us, for us three co-founders, we're not, um, I would say, very hierarchical. We see each other more as uh, managing partners and we have our focus areas. But um, yeah, it's not like maybe the classical CEO is the top chief or, or this kind of True. hierarchy. What, what led to that switch between the CPO and the CEO role? Was there any particular event or why did you decide to then switch it later on? I think it was really um, as, we, as we grew, um, we sort of 
kept doing things that normally the other person would do. So, for example, Ben would um, sort of naturally be very, very uh, interested in, 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 in the product and developing it. And I was, even if I, I had officially the CPO title, I, I was often presenting Legi at different events. So mm-hmm. at some point we were like, okay, it could make sense to sh- switch. And that's right. what we just did. Um, and I even heard actually of, of established companies who have this as a practice that they, uh, every, every other year, they actually change the leadership positions. So is that something that you also thought about implementing at Lecce? It's a possibility right now. I think it, it works very well in these roles, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely something I'm personally open to. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So maybe we'll see that uh, this switches in the, in the future. Exactly. Who knows? <laughs> Let's also talk a bit more about the market opportunity that you looked at. So with Lecce, um, you're focusing on, on your core markets in, in Europe. Can you talk a bit more about you know, how big the market is and why the timing was right uh, for your idea, basically? Sure. So if you look at the market globally, it's a multi-billion dollar market. And ultimately with Lecce, that's also what we want to tackle. So we have global ambitions. Um, however, right now, our core market and where we start is really Europe. And I think the reason why the timing was right is simply the fact that, especially in Europe, the, the number of startups grew, the number of venture capital firms grew by a lot. Um, and also, especially now, the, the culture around employee participation plans is really growing a lot. So it becomes really much, much more common to do so, which I think is essential for the European startup ecosystem. So I think this trend was simply the, the right time for, for Legi to, to, um, to serve its customers. So. so you basically saw a growth there and an increasing need for such a solution. I exactly. think that's uh, one of the best times to tackle. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned the Doodle founders, Mike and Paul. Mm-hmm. What role did they play in, you know, shaping the idea? Were they already involved from the very beginning early on uh, or how did that collaboration uh, work? Yes. So as I said, they actually told us about their problem and this uh, pain they had in their, their personal entrepreneurial journey. And so at the very beginning, they were actually our first business angels. And I would say really... Um, for us, you know, we, we came from a, from a very scientific background and it was a, a huge help to have these supporters in form of business angels for simply all the basics of setting up a company. And in general, I would say if you start a company, it's, it's really something great or important to do to look for this expertise, either in form of business angels or going to, to an accelerator, um, I think this is this is something important to do, yeah. How did you get in touch with these two guys? We actually met them through um, through the internet. So um, they were actually looking to fund a team, and um, that's really how we met. And we we then uh, did a couple of workshop, had had coffee together, like really just a get to know each other process. Was there like a specific platform that you used to discover each other, or? Where did you find each other on the internet? I think they they used back then the CoFoundMe platform from ETH. Um, so that was the, the original touch point. Nice. Yeah. And then you just basically took it from there. A hungry startup team without idea or specific idea 
two experienced uh, startup founders with an idea, mix that together and you get a magic combination for a startup. Exactly. So I think um, we we just saw that the, the idea we were working on back then um, was sort of not the, the one we wanted to really launch with. And we just saw that this opportunity, the timing was right. The motivation was uh, fully aligned with, with what we wanted to tackle to. So mm. really strengthened the European startup ecosystem. That was super important to us. And that's really why we decided, okay, this is, this is the thing we, we now need to start with. You know, also this uh, strengthening the European startup ecosystem. This is a very strong conviction that you have and also mission that you follow. Where does that come from? What's the, the motivation behind that? Yeah, I think it's, it's, um, something pretty, pretty deep in, deeply rooted in our, in us three, in our co-founding team. Um, so first of all, I think all of us were pretty influenced by this whole, um, you know, startup spirit from the U.S. So all these influences from Silicon Valley, right. we dreamed about it a lot. Uh, also dreamed about going to the U.S. and, and really starting our entrepreneurial journey there. Um, however, I think our, at our heart, we're, we're really Europeans and we, there we really have this motivation of, um, constructing and developing this, the startup ecosystem here. And I think that's really something that at the root motivates us a lot. And we all know, you know, building a startup is a tough challenge that you face. There are also many obstacles uh, along the way that you have to solve or figure out how to overcome them. So I would also like to talk a bit more about these challenges that you faced. One you already tackled because there was a missing business background and Paul and Mike uh, supported you on the, on the business part. But you also had uh, different challenges. You mentioned the first idea and uh, also the first idea for Lecce was actually different to what it is right now today, right? Mm -hmm. So can you talk a bit more what this first idea of Lecce was and why it uh, led to a change afterwards? When we started Leggy, the idea was actually to launch just a free cap table tool online. And the idea behind that was that every early stage startup, every founder that starts a company would simply go online and start immediately their cap table with Leggy because, you know, it's, it's, it's free. It makes sense. It's way better than Excel sheets. So the idea was that it would get adopted really fast. However, what we realized around one and a half years in the company is that the growth we were expecting from that strategy wasn't reflected as good as we wanted to in reality. So what we then did is we switched strategies and we still have the free package for early stage startups. And I still strongly encourage everyone to, you know, be be professional about this from the very beginning. It, it will save you a lot of headaches along the journey. But we just noticed that the willingness to pay for uh, software was really starting later. And that's also, it, it correlates with having more employees uh, to whom you give more equity. Um, so that's really when we switched strategy, we introduced the pricing before that, you couldn't even pay for Leggy even if you wanted to. Um, and so you, you wouldn't accept any money. Exactly. <laughs> we wouldn't accept any money. And, um, and that's really, I think, the challenge there was simply to be extremely honest with oneself and realizing, okay, this is not what we expect. What do we want to change? And right. when we introduced that new strategy, that's really also when we saw uh, much more traction and also the growth we were expecting to see. 
So do you have any like, uh, you know, conclusion reached that why this growth was not possible in, in the early stage, although the software was offered for free? Yes, I think the, the, the main reason is that when you start a company at the early stages, the cap table management is, is something important, but it's not your top one priority for survival. However, when you start really being more established, when you start having employees to whom you give equity, then you start really realizing, okay, uh, I'm starting to run into so much paperwork, into so much intransparency among people who own the company. And then you, you really start having the need for a platform for, for this. True. Is there any certain, you know, company signs in terms of number of employees or anything of that sort where you say, okay, for these companies, it actually makes sense to use and pay uh, for the software of Lecce? Yes. So I would say it starts when you start having dozens of employees. So typical sweet spot is around 50 employees. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where, where really you, you, you start uh, wanting to pay for Leggy and then it goes up to thousands of employees currently in, nice. in our companies yeah. we serve. Yeah. And you know, when you then moved up market with your pricing and also your whole strategy, I can imagine that this was a big uncertainty at that moment because you said, okay, the first didn't really work as we imagined. That must be a, a strange or also difficult feeling to deal with. I can imagine. How did you do that? And how did it feel in that moment? Yes. Um, it was, it was in a sense difficult because, um, it was really sort of switching also our mindset. However, I think it was also, on the other hand, a, a great feeling because we, we really realized that there was a, a pool there. And that's really where we start with like, okay, this is, this is product market fit. Like this is the, the, the early signs of this. And, right. you know, when, when you're a startup, you're, I don't know, we were back then uh, really less than 10 people and you start serving customers who have 500 employees. It's, it's huge, you know, so um, it, was, it was also a very motivating change for us. And how did you find the first paying clients, the first large paying clients? Did that already happen with the free words and, and they wanted to come and like give you money or how did that happen? No, I think the, the very first large customers... Um, so some of them came through our personal network, but the the first people who didn't came through our network, it was actually really um, organically. So they either Googled us or they heard from an investor about Leggy and they really came knocking to our door. So, And I guess that's then also the, the good sign for getting close or reaching product market fit when companies come and knock at your door, hey, we need your services and you don't have to push it in the market. Absolutely. Cool. That's a, a great experience that you went through there from growth that is like not going as fast as you wished to finding product market fit. I think that's awesome. Another core challenge that you faced is the whole topic around blockchain. And maybe you can talk a bit more, you know, what the technology means for you, for Lecce, and how you actually struggled also with that technology and how to implement it. Sure. So when we started Leggy and um, I think one year in, it was around that that time, really blockchain was at the peak of its hype. Um, you know, Bitcoin was, I think, reached 20,000 uh, in, in value. And, uh, and of course, it was really present because you can use the blockchain technology to 
you know, keep track of who owns what in a company. Right. However, I think for us, the challenge was to, to first of all, understand how far is the regulatory framework for this? Um, and second of all, how is the customer's need? Like, do, is it really a need that is fulfilled by the blockchain for the customer? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, right now, we, we're not using the blockchain technology. And because the answer of, to, the, to the two questions I just said were, for the moment, no. So the regulatory framework is not yet there. You still need a notary to make a capital increase right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you cannot do that via the blockchain currently. And second, um, also this, this customer's need. So we simply never heard um, even once from a customer, hey, could we do this on the blockchain? So the, the need for this right now is, is not as urgent um, for the moment. So right now we, we have more of an observe, observation perspective on this whole topic rather than implementing that actively. I think that's a very good access to the topic because what you also see is, you know, there are many startups that just say, yeah, let's put that on the blockchain because then we can increase our valuation and raise more money from investors because it's a hot topic at the moment. So I really admire that you analyzed that and decided to not go there yet because it doesn't make sense. While other startups might say, yeah, let's just do it no matter whether it makes sense or not, but it increases the value of our company. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think uh, it, it always makes sense to really be super self-honest and and reflect on if you personally understand why this adds value to your product mm-hmm. and of course never do it just for for a higher valuation or so i think that's true yeah you also mentioned uh, the regulatory framework is there any sort of challenge that you faced in that regard where you had to pay special attention to with the the software that you built right now no so what we what we do right now is really building the software infrastructure to support equity management mm-hmm. so we're really a, a platform for this and we're not regulated so we we're not you know licensed to um, move shares around of the startup so it's still the ownership of the of the equity is still at the startup and we simply see that simply by building first this software infrastructure and this platform, we can already add a lot of value without being regulated. But that might change in the future. That might change in the future, yes. Anything you can or want to share on, on, on that topic, or is that the secret product roadmap? <laughs> no, so what I can share, of course, is um, we're also planning on being more suitable for public companies, for instance, and there... Um, to support public companies, we will need to also be regulated with and compatible with stock exchanges, for instance. So in that regard, we will certainly need to do certain step in the, in the regulated space. Right. That's going to be an interesting step to take, I think. For sure. Let's also talk about opponents and supporters. Um, I think you already briefly mentioned uh, some of them along the way so far. Let's first look at the opponents. Usually, you know, startups, they also face competitors uh, or old ways of doing things. In your way, the latter is Excel as a big competitor where companies still use Excel to manage their cap table and not switch to a software that does that actually much better. How do you deal with that? How do you convince people that the old way that is working, but might not be the best way, uh, that they actually leave that way and try something new? I think, um, first of all, the, the, the first reason people come to us 
is simply the, the sheer realization that when you start giving equity to a lot of people, so when you have start having hundreds of owners, the paperwork that comes with that, and it's not only on Excel, you need to, you know, sign waivers, sign legal documents with all of your owners on a regular basis. So all this paperwork um, starts being simply too much to be productive. So that's really one reason. And the second that we actually realized only later when we were in the in this journey is that uh, we see a lot of CFOs of large startups coming to us and saying um, that they want to really involve everyone in the company in the ownership. So really this trend of giving out more equity to employees, which, I, which is great. Mm-hmm. And the reason there, which, which convinces people to switch to Legi is the transparency that it brings. So um, I think the leaders of startups really want that everyone in the company has an understanding and can really see this equity they own in a tangible way. So this is really one, one big reason, this cultural reason. What does that mean, this, this tangible way? How does that show in, in practice in the product? Yes, yeah, so what you can simply do is you create a company account on Legi and then you invite all people who own a stake in the company, for example, your employees, and they can then see their own stake on their employee dashboards. They can also see things such as vesting. So how much do I really own today? Um, and you can also share the valuation of the company so that they can see, okay, what is the value today? And we also uh, plan on sharing the fact that you can give certain scenarios. So of course, I think there is also important as a company that you don't oversell, that you can, you come in here to, the, to your employee, what is, what is a worst case scenario? What is a normal scenario, expectable scenario? What is a moonshot scenario? So employees can really see that in a transparent way. Great. We're going to talk about these details in the second episode. So I'm already looking forward to uh, the discussion there. You also have competitors, um, one larger one from the US. How do you deal with that? Um, is there any, you know, disadvantage of being in Switzerland in that regard? So, yes, we have one, one big competitors, especially in the US. Um, it's a big scale up and they're actually more focused in the US market and are adding a lot of new product segments in the US. And what we, how, the way we differentiate from, from them, I think, um, are, are a couple of reasons. So first of all, um, the fact that they're in the US means they have certain features who are not compatible with the European needs. Mm-hmm. So typical example, Phantom or virtual stocks in Germany is huge. I mean, that's the main way they, they give equity to their employees. Right. And that's not really supported by Carla, for example, this, this competitor we have. Um, and another reason is, for example, the fact that all the support is in the US, which also you know, with time shifts and so on. So all these reasons that are tied to the fact that they're in the US. And last but not least, um, I think the fact that um, for a lot of European scale-ups, it's sensitive data that they put in this software. And for them, it's really important that it stays in on European ground and under European regulation. So that's True. also a strong reason. Yeah. So that's a, a USP that you can definitely deliver on. Exactly. 
have you ever thought or were you ever afraid of, you know, that U.S. competitor entering the European market and really competing here head to head with you? Sure. I mean, um, that's definitely a, a threat and we definitely observe the, the movements of the competitor. But I think at the end of the day, our, our philosophy is really try to, you know, like there is this saying, I think startups don't die of murder, but out of suicide. Uh, so at the end of the day, I think what we want to do is, um, sure, observe the competition, but at the end of the day, it's about speaking to our customers, focusing on our customers and our own growth. So that's at the end of the day, our approach. Makes sense. And that's actually a perfect segue to your supporters. Mm -hmm. One of them being clients. You have very well-known clients in the startup ecosystem, like Get Your Guide, for example, or also Frontify. Um, how did you win them over? Like, how do they support you also for the future development of the product? Sure. So I think there is a small misunderstanding. Get Your Guide is not yet on Edgy. I hope they will soon be on Edgy. Um, we have another large uh, European scale-up called WeFox. Maybe it's that, that one you're referring to. But yes, WeFox, Frontify, um, just to, to cite a couple of customers there. Um, and yeah, I mean, for we, with them, I think um, we're really grateful from our customers to, to receive all this product feedback. Um, also for them, it's as, as you know, early, early adopters of Leggy, they, they also, um, help shaping the product, telling us what is important, especially, for example, WeFox, for WeFox, it was extremely important that all their employees, um, know in a very transparent way about the, the equity. So really this cultural aspect came, for example, as feedback from them. Right. And, um, and yes, we, we regularly do customer stories, also webinars. You can check them out there um, and they share a lot of knowledge, not only with us, but also with other users of Legi. Cool. And another important part of your supporters is the current board that you have. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a bit more in what way they actually support you, what tasks they or strategic uh, focus topics that they really help you with uh, to move Legi in the right direction? Sure. So I think the one thing I really appreciate about, about our board is the fact that they have a very hands-off approach. So they don't micromanage us as a, as a management team. However, they're always there for, for advice. We can always ask whenever we have a, we have a question. And of course, also for, for strategic topics during board meetings. So I think this combination is for me really the key that, um, they're on the one hand hands-off, but also really there when we need them and giving valuable inputs. Great. Yeah, I think that's the perfect sparring partner that you are wishing for, right? Yeah, totally. Currently, you have more than 500 companies using the platform. I think that's a, a very cool number, uh, what you've reached so far. Uh, you have traction in 75 countries, although you're not pushing all of them, obviously, but that's also impressive. And uh, you also raised more than 1 million uh, to really further expand across Europe and, uh, you know, push the growth level basically. So this is where you stand today. I think we understood how you actually got there, but we also all wonder what's next. What are your future plans with Lecce? Sure. So as I mentioned before, one, one future plan, um, you know, after, after our series A that we're currently working towards is, um, really 
tackling also public companies, so covering that segment. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe to, to mention before that, our goal until that is really to become the, the leader in the big European market. So we started in the DAC region and we, we are now really focusing on expanding, expanding more in the large European markets, so France, UK and the Nordics, and want to really establish ourselves there. And after that, as I said, really covering, pu covering public companies. Also, we want to grow our fund size outside of the product more. So VC funds also using Leggy. And finally, after that, really tackling the global market out of Europe. Nice. Sounds like a very good plan. You know, when you get investors on board uh, early stage, but also if a series A, where you probably have more uh, like professional VCs uh, on there, they expect a certain return um, in the future, right? So do you plan to do an exit maybe to an American competitor, for example, or what's your uh, thought about that? Yeah, so I think the the way we see these these exit strategies is um, we are not at all focused on selling the company. I think really what we're focusing on is um, how can we, as a as a as a company as Leggy, mm -hmm. you know, grow and really become a, a large and successful European tech company, and that's really our main focus. So we're we're not focusing on on wanting to sell this to others. But eventually you will have to, right, in the future? Well, they can also go public, for example. That's True. also, that's also an, a possibility. And uh, uh, I mean, a lot of companies nowadays stay private for longer. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you also heard about this, this story of Elon Musk wanting to take even Tesla private again right. to not have this, this pressure from public markets. Um, so I think, yeah, we, we as a company really there are, are, are thinking long term and are not trying to, to aim for an exit that soon. Cool. So we're curious to see uh, where the, the journey is leading you. Before we wrap up the episode, you already mentioned uh, two books, The Lean Startup and Zero to One, uh, that really helped you along the journey and to shape the, the ideas and, and the team. Are there any additional resources or gadgets that you can recommend to our listeners? I think there are two things that I would like to share here. So the first one is... Um, actually really mentioning books. Um, I personally really love listening to books and I would recommend that to everyone. So I just have a, a, an audible abo there mm -hmm. and that's really uh, something I, I love doing. So I could recommend that to everyone. Great. Um, also podcasts, of course, such as this one called Swisspreneur, which I can <laughs> recommend as well. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, something real I like and uh, that brings me a lot of, uh, of knowledge as well as an entrepreneur. Cool. So thank you so much for sharing the journey. That was a, an interesting journey to recap, basically. And uh, we wish you all the best of success uh, for the future of you and Lechi. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.